This episode of Light Source is brought to you by Squarespace.com. For fast, easy publishing of a professional website, check out photographers.squarespace.com slash ls. And when you sign up, use the promo code LS1 to receive a 10% discount. This is Tim Tatter, and you're listening to Light And welcome to episode 64 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, the website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. Now, on today's episode, we are going to have a brief interview with Tim Tatter. His website is Tim, T-A-D-D-E-R.com. If you want to check it out and follow along with us at home, uh, Tim is a commercial photographer, seems to focus on the sports aspect. He kind of shoots what he loves, and his work is really great. I've seen a lot of uh, the images in his portfolio, and especially in his client section where he shows some uh, tear sheets of his work. I recognize a couple of them as ads that I've stopped on in magazines and, and really focused on them. So it was really great to get a chance to speak with him. We do get a little bit of uh, bad sound quality towards the end of it, but that's only because he is getting ready to ride his bike home from work for the day so right. so you'll hear the the cleats clacking around on the background and it sounds like getting the bike off the back of the studio and getting it ready for the ride home so we did catch him briefly but he has some really great information so definitely stick around for the whole thing even if the sound quality isn't as perfect as it normally is having just briefly talked to him he still said an awful lot i was really inspired by a few things that he said so it's going to be a good show it was definitely a call that I really needed to make. A lot of the things that he said were definitely things that hit me at home right now, especially with I had kind of written May off as a non-photo month for me with two kids in Little League and it seems like we're at games like three, four nights a week. And I pretty much have just resigned myself to the fact that I'm not going to make it to the studio. and I'm not going to shoot any new images, but he really makes some good points about working hard. And you know, if you want to get better at it, you have to be doing it constantly. And um, some other things that really rung true with stuff that I needed to hear tonight. So it was really good to have him on the show. No doubt. But also we have some kind of interesting news this month things here and there i look for opportunities to kind of tease you when nikon does something cool before <laughs> canon i mean some people make fun of us for ripping on each other but i don't care because i read the other day that pocket wizards can now be sent for aftermarket to be embedded inside of nikon d-series dslrs which is okay now that's cool that is cool that, that is just really slick. Apparently, they've made the Pocket Wizard chip really, really small now. It's so small that they're able to, according to this article, install Pocket Wizards inside D-series cameras. And this is done through Mamiya Corporation as sort of an aftermarket modification. And it's for D1s, D1Hs, and D1Xs. But still, that would be so nice. <laughs> oh, imagine if you had that, and then you have one of those lighting systems that has Pocket Wizard built into it. Right. I mean... That's like the ultimate in wireless setup. I mean, that's just really, really cool. Yeah, and from what I read, Nikon worked with them on this because you can control a lot of the Pocket Wizard channel settings and stuff with the buttons on the DSLR. So it's pretty neat. That is very cool. Well, kind of speaking about you and I with our little Nikon Canon feud, I had an opportunity to get together with one of the Light Source listeners this week. Uh, his name's Douglas Levy. Uh, Douglas Levy. L-E-V-Y photography.com. And he actually confused us when I was speaking to him before we went there because he, he sent me an email and said, you're the one that really likes Nikon, right? Oh. I said, no. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> 
Almost didn't meet up with him after that. Oh, that's funny. It was really cool to meet up with you, Douglas. We get to sit and chat about photography and have a burger and a beer. And he's going to be doing some photography while he was in town for the week. And drove him around and we scouted some potential shots to see if we could find him some cool landscapes and stuff to shoot in the morning while he didn't have anything to do. So yeah. um, we're going to be looking for images, Doug. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Post them. Make sure you stick them in the uh, Flickr group for everyone else to see also. Yeah, anytime you guys are in town, you can at least look us up, right? Yeah, definitely. Send us an email, and if we don't have anything going on, we'll see what we can do about making time to meet up with you guys. I always love getting a chance to meet new people, so it was really cool. I only wish it would have been not raining so we could have more photos from the event. Actually show something going on, but it was pretty good conditions if you were a duck. <laughs> there you go. Well, speaking of ducks, do you remember the card iFi, the Wi-Fi enabled Flash card. Yes, I do. Uh, one of my friends had one, and they were playing with it for a while, and the Wi-Fi enabled CF cards and stuff. Yeah, I mean, basically, the deal is you can put this in your camera, and then it can communicate with your computer without wires, which, you know, we love. But they released three new cards this year, and I guess they just made the news recently, because one of them is pretty interesting, I thought. One's called the iFi Explorer, and what it does, it can automatically locate nearby Wi-Fi networks and geotag your photos. So automatically inside the metadata for your image, you get your latitude and longitude coordinates. Which, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that kind of information could be really handy, especially after a couple of years go by and you're trying to figure out what all those photos are, where you took them and stuff like that. That's that's pretty neat. Or if you were out scouting a location and, and you were just out for a day and you were just shooting a bunch of stuff and you had this huge collection of stuff and you're like, oh, this is a really cool place, but then where was it? Right, exactly, yeah. So for guys that go out and do scouting, you know, and photograph backgrounds and stuff, that would be a really cool little card to have around. The other thing that they announced, they had the normal iFi share, which they renamed the original card to that, allows you to basically upload to all your different photo sharing services and stuff automatically from your camera. But then now they've released one called iFi Home, which is just for home networks or like studio networks where you're not trying to upload it to Flickr or any other site, but you're just trying to get it to your computer. And they actually knocked $20 off, off of the price of the card. So for 80 bucks, might be a cool solution for... We should try one of these, man. Well, I won't be able to because I'm looking at these and they are SD. Oh, that's right. Like, I knew it was, there was a catch. So, anyway, but you're you're shooting with us. I do. Right? I have a D50 that it would go in. Perfect. Yeah, we'll have to try it sometime. That's pretty cool. There was an email for those of you who aren't on this email that goes out. There's a website. It's called photojojo.com, and they have really cool things that get sent out. And one of the things that was sent out this week is games that you can play with your camera. Now, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the light source assignments. And if you haven't checked it out, we do have a new one that's going on for the month of May, and it is Hands. And there's extra credit for if you only use one single light. So check out more information on that at studiolighting.net. But some of these other games are kind of cool, and it'll be interesting to see if anyone in our group picks out some people to play these with. Let's see, one that struck me was the uh, Photo Gamer. It's kind of like word association where you, uh, they said on Pee Wee's Playhouse, instead of screaming out the word of the day when you hear it, you run and take a picture of it instead. <laughs> right. Illustrate. So it, that one is in itself a lot like the light source assignments that we have going on. In this case, instead of a weekly, we're having it as a monthly. So our one for the month is hand. So what was the other one that you said you saw that you liked? Well, the one that I liked was the Photo Association game. Basically, it could be inside of a group or it can just be between two photographers, but you, I would post an image and then that image would inspire you to take one of something similar or something, you know, kind of as a response to my image. So, and then go together. That's kind of cool. Oh, that's pretty cool. So you kind of riff on each other's ideas and yeah. kind of let each other inspire you and see where things go from there. Because right. I could see someone saying one thing and 
responding in a completely different direction and see where things end up. That would be pretty cool to try sometime. That would be. So just a couple of cool ways to keep you guys inspired. And as you'll hear from our guests, keep those photos coming. Keep shooting. Exactly. On this edition of The Light Source, we have with us this evening Tim Tatter. He is a commercial photographer born in Baltimore and pretty much can't open any sort of a sports magazine and not see his work. I was just doing a little bit of Googling here before the show, and I'm surprised at all of the images that I'm recognizing of yours, Tim. So thank you for coming on the show and speaking with us this evening. Thank you. I was reading a little bit about your about section on your website, and for those following along at home, it's timtatter.com, T-A-D-D-E-R. You have a little bit of an interesting story of how you came to photography. Would you share it with our audience? Yeah, sure. I mean, I came to photography. I, I kind of grew up in photography. It was my dad's profession, and so it was what I knew how people made a living, you know. Um, from a toddler on, I was around the studio, around the environment, around what was going on. So, you know, when I was a little kid, my father was a team photographer for the Baltimore Orioles and the, and the Baltimore Colts. It used to be just like the coolest thing in the world to go to games with my father and see what he would be up to and carry his bag on the sidelines and you know back then you could you could do that you know you could go with your father to the football games as a nine-year-old kid and carry a bag along sidelines you know today obviously it's much more difficult to do that but that was sort of my first exposure to sports photography and the, the sports photography world so to speak and that's got to be pretty cool being a kid as well just kind of like hang, getting to hang around a major league sporting team like that on the sidelines it was pretty cool. It was, I think I was 13 and I would go to spring training with my father and he'd give me like a 300 millimeter lens and a, and this is all manual focus. I think it was like a Nikon F3 with a motor drive and I would shoot Triax and just, you know, just shoot stuff. As he was working, doing other things, that that's kept me out of trouble and <laughs> kept me occupied, I guess you would say. But it was a... You know, little did I know that I could actually one day do it myself and do it as a living. And then I wasn't really something I even considered. You know, it was just something he did, and I went along with him. It was kind of a get-out-of-school kind of thing. That's sweet. <laughs> now, I'm curious, did any of your earlier work end up seeing publication while you were young? You know, not really. The only stuff that ever happened was I think they had a show in my high school of, of my stuff in the library or something like that. It wasn't anything at all by any means like done for any intent. It was just done to keep me focused and not running around like a crazy madman on the 13-year-old right. <laughs> at a spring training event. Um, you know, sit here and press this button. That was pretty much the extent of it. I mean, but, you know, looking back on it, I looked at it and there was some good stuff in there. And, you know, people were always like, wow, you're pretty good. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. Just like, oh, thanks, you know, whatever. But was, I guess it was a gift from my father, really. That's cool. Now, did that make you want to be a photographer or did that all come later? I mean, what did you do when you went to school? I was a math major in, in college and I thought I was going to be like a business person, you know, like a financial guy. I, I went, my first job, I worked very briefly as a financial analyst for a money management firm for about six months until I realized that that was obviously not my calling. <laughs> um, and I quickly abandoned or that industry and moved on. And I was a high school teacher for about four years. So uh, oh. it, took me a, it took me a while to get back to photography. After teaching, I was a photojournalist. I worked for newspapers, basically bottom feeding and trying to keep myself alive by still taking pictures, you know. 
And what I mean by bottom feeding, it's like every town has a newspaper. Every It's fairly easy to get published in a newspaper because whether it was a community paper or the big paper in the city or whatever, you know, there's freelance opportunities if you're willing to work hard and do your thing, you know. And I think I was making $50 an assignment, so obviously it wasn't nothing spectacular. Oh, just to pay the bills, right? Just to take pictures. I mean, I was barely paying the bills, if even paying the bills. I mean... Um, <laughs> I think I would be fired up if I made a thousand dollars. That was twenty assignments in a month, you know. Right. Um, that was a big deal for me. So yeah, I mean, it was. It, that wasn't the. How, how do I best describe that? It, it was to take pictures, you know. I, I didn't care what I was doing. I just wanted to be taking pictures at that point. After being a high school teacher for four years and doing other things, I just came to the determination that I was good at photography and I liked it. And I, you know, life was short. Why don't I? see if I could really do it. So I went after it, and that was the place that immediately would allow me to take pictures, and 50 bucks is 50 bucks, and so I tried to do as many assignments as I could and, and you know, work as hard as I could just to take more pictures and get my pictures better, you know. I always tell aspiring photographers that the first step to being a photographer is taking pictures. <laughs> right, that's and, a great point. <laughs> I mean, it's so true, though. I mean, God, you could see how many books people send me, emails, websites, hey, look at my work, look at my work, look at my work, and I see a bunch of people aren't taking very many pictures. You know, I, I see class assignments and I see, you know, struggling, really, really rough stuff. But, you know, I mean, everybody struggles. You just got to take more pictures. That's the bottom line, in, in my opinion. In my opinion, the, the harder I work, the luckier I get, so to speak. And not everybody sees it that way. And, you know, I've, I've met some incredibly talented people along my journey I'm not one of those guys. I work really hard. I'm the first person in my studio and the last person to leave every day. You know, I, I do 60, 80 hour weeks every week and I work hard because the competition works hard. And if you don't want it more than the next guy, you're not going to get it. It's as simple as that. So hmm. that's always been my ability was, you know, it's like I can work as hard as anybody else and that's going to account for something. Absolutely. It absolutely comes through in your work too. Uh, you've got a really interesting portfolio. Thank you. Would it be fair to say that some of the uh, time that you spent in your photojournalism experience has lent anything to your style and your approach now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to, to get a grant to study photojournalism in, in a master's degree program at, the, at Ohio University at their School of Visual Communications. This is after I spent two years probably doing photojournalism. And during that time, I learned so much about photography and what good photography was and what bad photography was and you know I, I just learned so much that it really helped me determine what the basics of photography were you know decisive moment um, light and shadow all these things that I had knew maybe from a subconscious level but not on a conscious level you know studying masters of the craft really really changed the way I approached it really really changed the way that I saw photography and that and, 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 and you know I'll never forget the very first assignment that we had. We had one roll of film, and this is we were shooting film back then. We had one roll of film, 36 exposures, and we had to go cover an event. And um, I went to a rodeo, like a little local Appalachia rodeo, you know, like a Sunday kind of fair. And so you go back to the class Monday, and, and everybody puts their images up on the board, and everybody in the class is told to go take down the images that they didn't think were very strong. And if you had one image left up at the end of the thing, you were really happy. And, and you know, I didn't have any images left up, and I thought I was hot ish, you know. And I came in and, and, you know, I just got schooled by just so many great photographers that were there. 
in this program, that was the very first thing we did. It was very humbling because, like, I came in thinking, like, I knew what I was doing, and I certainly was awakened to a whole nother level of, of this business and, and the talent that's out there is stifling. It's absolutely incredible how much talent is out there. And that's another reason why I work really hard. You know, it's just this business is not for those that are not passionate, driven, focused. All those things are just absolutely, in my opinion, absolutely vital. Right. I mean, absolutely vital. These are the things that make me, I think, who I am. With your early experience around the football field and uh, your bio said that you went on to play football, do you think that that's kind of shaped the subject matter that you tend to go after nowadays? You know, being an athlete, I, um, being around it as a kid, yes. I, I think you know somebody, I don't know, when I was out here in San Diego my very first year or two years out here, I was struggling. I was working in newspapers again. I was this is after I went to graduate school and, you know, I was working in the newspaper industry again and I kept hearing, you know, find a style, find what you want to shoot, find something you're passionate about, find something you like, find a subject matter you're really into. I heard all these, you know, things from photographers and from, you know, things that I was doing and yada, yada, yada. And I just said, well, you know what? I really like riding my bike. I really like sport. I really like football. I really like all these things. Let's see if I can start taking some pictures of these things in my own vision. And so I found people to go do that. I remember I was shooting a triathlon for a local newspaper and I saw this amputee tri guy. He, he was missing a leg and I saw him getting in and out of the water. And, and after the race, I went up to him and I said, hey, man, I'd like to do a portrait of you for my portfolio. And that's what I do. And he was like, yeah, right on. That, that sounds cool. And so we hooked up and, and now, you know, and I did this shot. And it was, a, it was, I used it as a marketing piece and people liked it. And I really liked it. And I was like, hey, that was pretty easy. So I went and I did it again. And I found somebody else. And I found somebody else. And I found somebody else. And I built a book of like 30 images of self-assignments of, stuff that I just thought was cool, you know, and then people started paying me to do the same thing. And I was like, well, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that's kind of how it started as I just went out and did it myself and, you know, found a way to get it done. And I, I think I had my first lighting kit, it was three SB 28 and a set of pocket wizards. Wow. I'd like to talk a little bit about your lighting style a bit later, but a lot of your work was then outdoors. I guess you were controlling light in mixed situations. I found my first book style that way because I didn't have a studio right. <laughs> and I didn't have access to a studio. So I, I just, you know, I would go to the public parks, places that was cheap and free to shoot or whatever, and just ghetto shoot it, you know, just go out and shoot it. And that's sort of how it started. What about marketing? Did you end up having to, once you had your book put together, how did you begin to get your name out there? I've always been very computer savvy and very good with the with the computer and I learned how in graduate school how to make flash web pages and so I would just make web pages when the phone wasn't ringing and I made a nice web page and I put my own book up there and then I this was in the very infancy of pay-per-click and I and I knew about it and I so I bought you know, the pay-per-click on San Diego photographer and San Diego advertising photographer and photographer San Diego and all these pay-per-click words. And at the time, I could buy them for like 15 cents a click or something like that. Beautiful. So my, <laughs> my bill was like, you know, a month was like 40 bucks. And I was getting the four assignments a month from that thing. And this is back in the day. I mean, this is 
four or five years ago, back in the day when you could do that. Now, I think if you wanted to get San Diego photography, you'd probably pay like 10 bucks or something like that. I mean, it would probably be right. cost prohibitive. I don't know, but I'm, I'm assuming because I stopped that a long ago. But because it was, it was, I would only get a certain type of work from it, you know. But it was enough to keep me going and pay the bills, and you know, and just to keep me shooting and taking pictures. And that was the that was the important thing. It's like take more pictures. So that was the um, first marketing I did, which is a good website and you know, e-marketing and stuff like that. From there, I sort of I feel that the the philosophy that then has made me most successful was keeping one mantra in, in mind was make better pictures. And the mantra is just make better pictures. And everything else will take care of itself. If you have the best pictures in the world, people will notice them, whether you show them online or wherever. People will talk, people will see, people will, will notice the work, and great pictures scream to be published and used and, and are marketable in themselves. I mean, no matter how you package bad imagery, you're still going to have bad imagery. And so no matter how you market it, promote it, or whatever, you're not going to get anywhere. So if you spend all your time marketing, you're going to be marketing old stuff that is not very fresh and not very unique and not very attractive to the marketplace. You know, you're going to end up one place. For me, I haven't done a single bit of print mailing stuff for years. And the only thing that I do is get my out in the web books and excuse me I I take out like source book ads you know because that's a that's and that, that's a different sort of level of marketing I don't do any of the traditional marketing that you hear a lot of people like oh I got to make a postcard or oh, I got to go do this and, and it's like I just worry about making better pictures I, I try to find I try to I try to make better pictures and I try to learn more about the tools to make better pictures and I try to think of I think cerebrally about making better pictures, about you know what is a better picture, what am I trying to communicate, what is the effectiveness of it, what is my style, is it true to my vision, is it consistent with the other work that I'm doing, um, so that when people hire me, they know exactly what they're going to get, right. and they feel very safe about that because you know we're doing jobs that are 15 levels of approvals. You know, it's not <laughs> right. like, hey, I like that picture. It's like, well, I like it, but does my boss like it? And does my boss likes it? Does the CEO like it? Is the CEO like it? Does the board like it? And yada yada. He goes up this chain, you know, and then eventually ends up in a marquee publication representing some product or whatever. The point of it is, is that the better your pictures are takes away all those types of problems. If you have good pictures, your jobs are going to go great. No one's ever complains if the pictures are great. They only have problems when the pictures are bad. And so, you know, that's kind of the mantra that I, it's simple, but it's the truth. You know, I'm in the business of making great imagery and it's pretty simple, you know, do what it takes to make a better picture. Well, now I kind of have a, a follow-up question then related to that. A guy in your position, how do you challenge yourself? Like, where do you go to learn new stuff and stretch yourself visually? That's a really great question. You know, a while ago I used to search the web and try to find things, you know, inspiration from other photographers and stuff like that, but I really don't do that anymore because I really want my vision to be me. You know, I really don't want it to be what somebody else is doing. I don't want to adapt somebody else's imagery. I want I want my imagery to be my imagery and that's the drill, you know? Right. So I sort of come up with conceptual things. I see something on T V or something that maybe there's a tonality in a in a TV commercial or a processing that in the T V in a TV commercial or something that I see when I'm, you know, cruising down the road or whatever. Just in daily life 
I try to be aware of trends and things that I'm seeing in my visual experience. Like, for example, my imagery is very high def. It's very detailed. And if you go into a circuit city and you look at 52-inch plasma or LCD TVs and you see high def, it's like that's what people are seeing. So that grainy, soft focus look is not being used by the marketplace anymore because people are seeing everything for the first time in such clarity mm. that, that that's what they want to see. And so that's what people are buying, and that's what I'm selling. I've been selling it for a while, but, I mean, it's just like that's sort of like how I visualize. So that's why I think that I'm in a place right now where the marketplace is, is accepting me. Now, you know, if we go through some type of thing like 9-11 or something and people become real moody and soft and everything starts becoming soft focus again or whatever, then styles are going to change and things are going to change and I'll have to become aware of that and the phone will stop ringing and I'll have to reinvent myself and be... <laughs> <laughs> you know, be something that I'm not now. And that's just part of the evolution. Right now, I'm desperately seeking opportunity to reinvent myself because I know that the shoe is going to eventually drop and I want to be ready for it. But I, ha I haven't had the time because I'm just working all the time. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to make hay while the sun shines and be very fortunate that, that it is shining. But, you know, I've known too many people where they've gotten to a position overextended, think that it's always going to be great and start being conceited jerks and then their business disappears and no one wants to work with them anymore. So it's a very, very challenging game, especially at this level. I mean, um, you know, at this level, like, it's like a maze and, uh, you know, having great advisors and great people to support me and help me make the right decisions and be the right person and do all the right things, it's overwhelming. I'm learning every day. It's just, it's unbelievable the amount of protocols and politically correctness and, <laughs> and everything that we go through. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. But... At the same time, it's, it makes sense because we are at such a high level and every picture we take, so many people's careers really depend upon it. I mean, agencies can lose their biggest account. Creative directors can lose their job. Uh, marketing brand managers can lose their jobs. Or if it's successful, can be promoted. So it, there's a lot of intensity in, on the stuff that we do because it's usually, a, uh, at this point, in, in, over the past year, for two years, it's been like the A-level campaigns for the A brands. So it's very high stress, it's very intense, and, you know, it's all those things. Wow. <laughs> it used to be one camera, one lens, one flash. Now it's 25 people, a couple production vans, and the whole crew, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's it's absurd, you know. The, the, in, the invoices are 57, 80 pages long, you know. They look like telephone books when they come. <laughs> it's just well, a whole other level. While we're talking a little bit about the behind the scenes of a of a shoot with you, you've described your style as high def. What sorts of lighting gear do you use to help enhance this style that that you're doing? Is there? I, I use I use too much lighting gear. <laughs> um, people wish they could they could oh I want they email me oh I want to take pictures like this and da 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 and it's like do you really because <laughs> like I have a ten cylinder passenger van that carries my lighting equipment now oh, and it, you know what I mean I can't do any photo shoot without three assistants and you know and I got 10 to 12 lights on a headshot you know what I mean it's just it's just absurd it's just it really is like people have no idea how much lighting equipment we use and and the intensity of the light that we use is all the way up seven pro photo seven a's you know 12 heads cranked all the way up 
you know, everything's gridded and focused. It's very focused. I'm creating cross shadows. You know, I'm doing all the things they tell you not to do in lighting school. <laughs> and it's just absolutely... But that's the only way I could get noticed is if I broke all the rules, you know? Like, I didn't start with that many lights. It just kind of evolved into like, oh, well, you know, I'd like to try this. And, oh, that worked. Now I'd like to try that. Oh, that worked. Oh, now I can do that. All right, great. Do that. Do that. Do that. And then next thing you know, like, your style's established and everybody's hiring you for that style. So you got to use all the lights that, that every, you know what I mean? Like, right. that's what they want. <laughs> so that's what you got to give them. If you, you know, if I showed up like Annie Leibovitz with a, with an octobank and a single head, that would make my life so much easier. But, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like what I do right now is, is just go out into the one shot I'm working on right now that I'm retouching is, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning. It's after a rodeo. I got 50 steers in a 10 by 10 pen. I got, Three generators going. I got other source coming off of the taco stand at the rodeo that's all closed down and I'm drawing power from. It's freezing cold. It's windy. I got the professional steer wrestling champion standing in the, in the ring. And there's dust and there's steers running around and my heads are getting <laughs> hit with, with horns. And I mean, it's just an absolute nightmare. But that's what people want. And so that's what we deliver. And so you have this shot where we're out there and, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, the minimum to take a simple picture now is like four people on crew and, you know, all this stuff. And so to get that look, like it's, it's a lot of stuff oh. because what we're doing is we're shooting, you know, everything F-16 or above. We're shooting, you know, super detailed focus light where our sources are always keyed from different angles and, you know, multiple key lights and just very, very intense type of stuff. So it, it's just, it's become more complicated than I ever thought it was going to be. Now, with all the complexity of your shoots, do you find yourself doing a lot of work ahead of time? I mean, you, Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you kidding me? It's like, I got to have at least, at least a day of prep on every shoot or it's not going to work. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, it's just a full day. And I mean, like, starting at eight o'clock in the morning and prepping until, you know, five o'clock at night saying, okay, this is what we're going to do on this shoot. This is a lighting standard. We mock out the, we diagram it. We make sure everything is, is working. We run through a pre-light, you know, we test it, test it out on our assistants. Yeah, it looks good. We send it to the client. Yep. Client approves it. Great. This is our standard. Awesome. We go, you know, and then we go do the shoot. Now that's, uh, you know, very, simple thing, you know, but we're, you know, we have the system down and we still go to that extent, you know, like we'll do a shoot in seven cities and every single person has got to be, look like they're in the same city at the same time, you know, so we're measuring out angles, wow. we're measuring out, um, you know, camera to subject distance, we're measuring out, you know, the tilt of the angle on the camera so the aspect stays the same, so our proportions stay the same. We're, you know, we're diagramming out how the light falls differently on each individual person if they're standing in a, in a line or if they're, you know, if they're, if they're three of them, if, you know, one, one person's shadow is going to put on the other. If they're leaning against a pole, we will bring in a, you know, a card and have them lean against something to give a body language. I mean, what we've become is a solution provider for a lot of people is like, how the hell are we going to shoot that? Well, this guy shot something like this before. Maybe we'll call him and we'll figure it out. <laughs> right. 
you know so that's kind of what we're what we've become that's classic how much of your final images involve compositing with all this stuff going on in different cities and stuff like that do you are you able to do that very much i would say that half of every final image i take is a composite okay so 50 percent of all the images i work with are composite it's interesting so that makes sense yeah does that let you Give you a little bit more flexibility, at least when you're lighting different pieces of the scene. Less flexibility because everybody's got to look the same, and everybody's got to be look like it's lit at the same time, okay. with the same light source, with the same, you know, everything. So, so it becomes very detailed and, and much less spontaneous. Okay. You know, like the spontaneity. I, my photography doesn't have a lot of spontaneity in it. You know, it, it, it can't with all those light sources. This subject's got to hit a mark. You right. Know? <laughs> And he's got a, and I got one shot at it. I don't have a motor drive. So I have to anticipate the action. I have to capture it. I mean, we shot Michael Phelps recently in a swim, in a swimming pool. I had 32,000 watt seconds of light thrown into the pool. Wow. I mean, we had the whole pool lit, you know, and he's swimming. He's got to hit a mark. I mean, it's just incredible, you know, to get that look, to make it look like you want, to make, you know, to get a fast moving subject crystal clear sharp like you need to use a lot of short duration high powered lights you know and so there's spontaneity of like that that spontaneity is gone you know what i mean it's no longer exists it's more about anticipating the moment pre-visualizing the moment you know knowing what you want to get before you show up on the set and then achieving that I mean, I know the picture that I want to get before I sit, set up on set, and that's what I end up with. You only see what you're looking for. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. You know, look, there, I have photographer friends that are unbelievable, and they do unbelievable stuff. I'm just saying what I do, like my stuff. Like, you know, that doesn't say that my stuff's the right stuff. It's just that's my stuff. Right. You know, so one of my best friends is a photojournalist for Geographic, and he is phenomenal but if he if i said to him hey man i need a picture like this he couldn't do it if his life depended upon it but if you said hey go out and bring me back a really cool picture he'd come back with 10 of the coolest pictures you've ever seen right it's just completely different and you know he doesn't get the kind of work that i get and i don't get the kind of work that he gets sure i'm wondering we we interview a lot of photographers who do headshots and portraits and things like that and they're always very concerned with sort of the connection between the photographer and the subject do you still deal with that in your field and how do you with all the uh i guess rigidity of the scene how do you pull that part of it off i I don't i don't get enough time with my subject to develop a connection you know like i get tiger woods for five minutes 15 minutes if i'm lucky you know and there's usually 70 people in the room looking at it (laughs) looking at me going tiger hey how are you going to do in the masters and oh, you know shit like that where like i can't turn around <laughs> to the ceo of some multinational corporation and say hey can you be quiet because i really need to get focused here you know right. like i wish i could but the bottom line is like at that point i'm like a plumber you know i'm there to do a job keep my mouth shut and and move on it's just sad but true you know i'll fly 20 hours around the world and and being in a foreign country for for three or four days setting up lighting equipment for a day and a half and get 15 minutes of shooting. Wow. You know, that's just the way it goes. I've been so busy. The stuff on my website is either so old. I have a new website coming out in the next, um, it's supposed to be out in the next two weeks, but I just haven't had a chance to, to nail it down, you know? Oh, that sounds great. 
Do you still find yourself doing a lot of the computer stuff that you said you were good at? I do. I do as much as I can. I've spent the past two weeks working on a project, but I can't do as much as I'd like to because I can't shoot and retouch. Um, I do as much of the retouching as as I can because that's my look and that's what people are paying me for. And to be honest with you, like, if you send it to a retoucher, it's going to look like all the other work that that retoucher works with. Right, right. And, you know, my rep is like, oh, well, why don't you try this guy out as a retoucher, you know, like, because we're working on a project and I'm going out of town on Monday and we're not sure if we're going to be able to finish it. And I'm like, well, why don't you, she's like, why don't you have this guy finish it? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great if I want my work to look like so-and-so's, you know, but I don't want it to look like so-and-so's. I want it to look like mine. So I hold on to it as much as I can, but I can't always hold on to it. We were talking before the show, and there was a really good article that we had found about you where you were talking about uh, sharpness and lighting. And you had a comment about shadows. You tend to think in shadows. Could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, shadows are what gives, gives things shape. If you light something from the front, it's not going to have any shape. So if you create shadows, you create dimension. If you create dimension, you create shape. You also create contrast. So if you look at any of my pictures, the coolest part about the pictures are the shadows. Well, that is now, true. The, sh- now, the shadows give you the highlights. Does that make sense? Because without the, without the shadows, you wouldn't see the highlights. Wow, yeah. And people don't see that. People don't understand that. Like, I've seen my assistants that have been working with me for years not understand why the rim light's not showing. And I'm like, you're not showing it because you're overfilling it. And you're like, what do you mean? It's like, you're throwing so much light at it that you can't see the highlight because you're overpowering the highlight. There's no more highlight if you overfill it. And they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) So by eliminating the shadows, they've eliminated the contrast and there's no... There's no highlight. Right. Okay. Like you put a light that's F-16 behind a subject and you shoot a light, you know, and you want to get a rim light and you shoot a light that F-16 at the subject, you're not going to see any rim light. Okay. Well, that makes your sense. Main so you need to create shadow to create highlight. You talked about focusing your light a lot. Do you, do you tend towards certain modifiers that you really feel like you can control that with? Um, I use all the Profoto line of equipment. So, And the reason I use their equipment is that it's durable and I beat the crap out of all my stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, got to watch those cows. I, mean, I really do. So, you know, it's very durable and I know the guy who fixes it and... I call him and I say, hey, Ramesh, I need a new so-and-so, and and he FedExes that out to me no matter where I am in the world, and it's there the next day. And, you know, that's super important to me. I use, so using their equipment, you know, I use the grids and uh, things like that, you know, fit their modifiers. Okay. I noticed in a couple of behind-the-scenes shots that we were able to find that you had a bunch of beauty dishes all Uh all in the scene. Do you find them to be useful oftentimes? I like the beauty dishes because they, the beauty dishes and the um, narrow beam reflectors uh, give me more power out of my lights than if I were to put it through like a box or something. Okay. Whereas like if I put it, if I put the same watt seconds through a box, I'm going to get, you know, F8 and a half. And if I put it through the beauty dish, I'm going to get 16. Right. One more question. Just we really appreciate the time you've spent with us, man. What about if you were to give advice for someone who wanted to get into this industry that you're in? what would be like the kind of one-liner that you would leave them with? Make better pictures. All right. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is simple as that. And to do that, you have to take pictures. So I'm implying that to make better pictures, you got to constantly be taking better pictures. And I tell the assistants that work for me that want to shoot, hey, 
you look like you're getting in great shape. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm surfing. I'm surfing all the time. And I'm like, yeah, how's that photography coming along? <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, yeah, you might be, you have to give up one thing to get another thing in anything in life. And if you're going to be a photographer and a good one, you need to make that your priority. And if you're out surfing and doing whatever, you know, that that's great. But you're not going to get your goals if you're not taking pictures. And so, you know, like for me, I have to ride my bike to work to get exercise as opposed to leaving early and going out for a ride. So I get, you know, I get a little bit here and a little bit there. And I try, you know, I try to do the things that I can. But my focus besides my family is my career. So Excellent. that's what's going on. Well, hey, Tim, thank you so much for your time. Uh, no worries. This has been great. I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time out to hang out with us. And Thanks. Hey, have Take a great care. night. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other Light Source episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the Light Source Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source you can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of and as always if you missed any of these links our quick outro here you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net till next time bye-bye Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.